I want to preach a message to you that I'm calling Nowhere to Go But Up. Nowhere to go but up. Come on, shove your neighbor, tell them there's nowhere to go but up. In Isaiah 6, we find uh, some, some powerful words that uh, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to preach out of them uh, because there, there's really just no, there's no words that could do. Once we read this, you'll see what I mean. It's just, it's almost like I should just read this and we all just go sit somewhere quietly for a while. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to preach a little bit from this passage. It, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled, say this next word out loud with me, with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. If there is a good thing about being knocked down and then kicked while you're down, if there's a good thing about <laughs> being knocked down and then from there finding there was, there was a whole other level you didn't know about, if there was a good thing about having a bad day and then finding out it was a worse day and then finding out that was just the warm up for the really bad part of your day that was coming. If there's, if there's a benefit, and we're, we're all agreeing, the question is if. If there's a benefit to like finding out something horrible has happened on the way to someone telling you something else happened that was even worse, if there is a benefit to being knocked down so low that you don't think you could possibly get any lower than that, it's that you can come to a place where you're so low, where there's only one way to go, and that's up. If there is something to be said for getting knocked down, it's that when God picks you up, you can get back up again. If there's something to be said for being kicked while you're down, it's that there's only one place to go when you're hurting that bad, and that place is up. Here in this passage, I know it's hard to really catch the emotion just from the initial read of it because we get so quickly swept away by the passion and the beauty and the romance and the, the unbelievable scene that is pictured where we only get 
glimpses of a few points in all of the Bible. The, the presence, it's hinted at, but only a few people really got to, got to see it and then had the gall to describe it. Uh, I mean, other times, Paul, I, I like how Paul approached it because, you know, John tried, Ezekiel tried, and, and, and Ezekiel, he, he just spun his wheels. And that's a, that's a really funny way to describe it because he's like, there was like a bunch of wheels. He was describing God's car, I think. I'm not positive. Ezekiel got to see God, and he's like, there was wheels and wheels. Wheels and wheels and wheels. <laughs> And the classic guy, right? He's like, he only notices the wheels. Like, whoa, so those wheels are on that ride, right? And, and we read here, Isaiah's attempt to describe it for us. John, you know, did the best that he could. He goes, it was kind of like this. If you read John's description of heaven, he was just like, it was like this and kind of like that. That He just keeps using the word like, like he's from the valley. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, and you lo- like, you know, and like, right? He just, because compl- why does he keep saying like? Because it's the only thing he can do. It was like this, but it wasn't this. It was like that. If you've ever been weirded out by descriptions of heaven because you're like, well, I don't want to be at a place where it's a sea of glass or this golden street. He didn't say it was those things. He said it was like that. It was like that. It was, that was the best he could do. My, my favorite, perhaps, approach is Paul's, who got to see heaven but just said, I'm not even going to try. I'd ruin it. I'd ruin it. And he literally said it would be against the law for me to even describe what I saw there on that day. But we can't, we can't be in a hurry to, to get to describing all this and try and figure out what these angelic creatures are and all of that without realizing the significance of the timestamp. Because no detail is given to us uh, for, for no reason. You know, God wasn't worried the Bible wasn't going to be long enough. You know what I mean? Like, like, you just get to a random detail, and he's like, well, I just needed to fill our material. No, that's, that's seriously not his concern. And so when we come to the first verse, and you, and you see this phrase, this all happened when? In the year that King Uzziah died, we must not be on a quest to figure out who the seraphim are, that we forget that this really matters. When did this revelation of who God is take place? The answer is, it's in the same year that King Uzziah died. Now, that that doesn't even help you unless you know something about the kings of Israel. Most of the kings that Israel ever had, and there was different lists because they split up. They had a civil war only it took. They had a civil war only it stuck, and they ended up as two different nations. And of those two nations that at one point were one, let's just talk about it this way, the great majority of kings they had were really bad. Terrible, bad, no good, lousy. And then this was punctuated by a few good ones, a few good ones. And outside of, you know, David and Solomon, this is probably like top three best king Israel ever had. Meet Josiah. There were some good moments with Hezekiah. But, but, when, you, but when you really look, get, get down to it, Uzziah, King Uzziah was one of the best kings Israel ever had. And listen to me. He was king for 52 years. Now, we, we can't even relate to that because the longest our chief executive would be in office would be four or eight years today, right? So we can't relate to a king who's the king for 52. And, 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 and Israel, uh, they did not just have a president. They had a literal king. So you have this guy who's on the throne. And so there are people who never have known life without him. Probably Isaiah. He was born. Uzziah was king. His entire life, Uzziah was king. And listen to me very carefully. Uzziah sought God. And that's what made him different. Because I could talk to you about all the things he did. You should read 2 
Chronicles 16. There's an amazing list, all the stuff that he did. It's fantastic. But at the end of the day, it's actually 2 Chronicles 26. At the end of the day, if you want to jot that down, you might want to get it right. Uh, Second Chron- you're like, 2 Chronicles 16? I didn't read much about Uzziah, but it was a good chapter. <laughs> 2 Chronicles 26. Uh, li- listen to this. He invented devices that could throw stones. So he was like figuring out Lord of the Rings type behavior, right? So he was, he was inventing things, and, and he was, was really big on vineyards and, and agricultural innovation. And during his you know, reign, the nation experienced uh, peace and it experienced victory. It was high economic times, but it was all because of his spiritual heartbeat towards God. In fact, if you, if you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 5, it says this, he sought God in the days of Zechariah. Who's that? That was the prophet prior to Isaiah who had understanding in the visions of God. And listen, as long as Uzziah, that's the pronoun, sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So for much of his 52 years, this is the guy who sought God. Now, what's amazing about that is if you read into his life, Uzziah became king at 16. 16 years old, right? He's getting handed the keys to his first chariot. Now he's got the keys to the city, you guys. Right? This is, he's getting nuclear launch codes, right? This is a, not a good idea. This is, this is crazy. But his father was killed. He becomes king. And his first decision was to seek God. He said, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm just a kid. So he seeks God. And God's pact was, as long as you seek me, you're going to prosper. I'm telling you, God still is making that deal. If you put God first, he really will. If you seek him first, add all these things unto you. And so that's what causes him to enter into the mind of leadership that he had and, and to come up with the ideas he did and the strategies he did and the reason the ec- economic success followed was all because this is a guy who sought God. And that was how he lived his life. But tragically, his story does not end well. Tragically, towards the end of Uzziah's life, the Bible says, as long as he sought God, God made him prosper. But towards the very tail end of his life, Uzziah had and experienced a great fall. He got lifted up with pride, and he eventually thought he could, he could do no wrong, and he went beyond a line that God said not to cross. He went beyond an area, an area in which God said he had, he had no business being. He crossed a line that shouldn't have been crossed, and as a result, he became a leper. And he had leprosy for the rest of his life, and eventually his life, he had to live out the last few years of his life in seclusion, and his story ends sadly. And so here's this, this, this great, imagine, 52 years of everything going really well and the way people get used to that. But we also know that that also caused for some people this sort of easing off the pedal of their spiritual faith. Because when things are good, it's easy to think things are always going to be good and forget that, that God's the giver of all that goodness. And so people began to become lax spiritually. And we know Uzziah did the same thing himself. And so he dies just as they're getting a little bit lazy, just as they're shifting a little bit into a cruise control mentality. And all of their enemies are noticing too. And so at the same exact time, you have the Assyrians beginning to move in. And this leader who they thought could do no wrong, he dies. And now the entire nation, Isaiah included, all of a sudden are feeling pretty vulnerable. The closest, I guess, comparison we could make in our day in relatively modern American history would be to compare this to the the way America felt after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And they talk about this as the end of Camelot. 
And this era of, wow, it's idealistic and it's beautiful and everything's so good. All of a sudden, this nasty, sinister reality in inserting itself. There will be good presidents, Jackie said again, but there will never be another Camelot. That articulated for the nation and how everyone felt about this loss of innocence over this great charismatic leader being taken out. Or, or perhaps we could go in our lifetime, some of us who are younger, uh, to how it felt to, to watch 9-11 take place and to see this great icon of, of our country, our nation, all of a sudden so vulnerable. This impregnable city of, of New York, all of a sudden to see planes flying into buildings and people jumping out of windows and just the way we all felt like, oh my gosh, if it could happen there, it could happen anywhere. Or, or I think about in, in my own life, uh, one of the kind of high horror moments for me was Columbine, uh, where, where so many of us, that was kind of like the, the beginning of realizing that someone could just walk into a school and, and tragically Columbine has been repeated and, and carried out many, 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 many times over and over again. But just this all of a sudden feeling, feeling so borderless, feeling so uh, like, like any, any, at any moment you could become a victim. That, if you bring all of that together and maybe even throw in how the nation felt after losing Abraham Lincoln, uh, you'd probably kind of be at the place where Isaiah and the rest of the people of Israel were as they were mourning the death of Uzziah. And it was exactly at that moment the text tells us, if we look at the second half of verse 1, it says, in the year King Uzziah died, look what Isaiah says now, the follow-up here, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Uh, it was when King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. We have to explore the connection here because there's something in this. And the connection that we need to explore is the connection between tribulation and revelation. There's, I believe, listen to me, a connection between tribulation, that's hard times that you face, difficult things that you go through, it's connected to the revelation. Would he have ever seen this encounter of God as he did on this day if it weren't first walking through something painful and through something difficult and through something hard? It was when King Uzziah died, he says, and there was an empty throne that my eyes were lifted up and I saw there's a throne in heaven and it's never going to be empty because the Most High rules forever. It was when a ruler I looked to and I trust a good person who was blessed by God and they were blessed to be a blessing and they blessed me. It wasn't wrong that Isaiah and the rest of the country was grateful for the leadership. We should always be grateful if we have a leader God uses in our life. We should always be thankful for the, the pastor, for the teacher, for the person who just knows God, walks with God, that we are blessed spiritually by just being around. That's a good thing. But listen, the mistake that we could easily make is to stop looking to God for ourselves and to look to a person to give you what only God could give you. This is, this is so special to me because I'm holding in my hand a cassette tape, and this cassette tape is the first sermon I ever preached in my entire life. And it says, I don't know if you can read it, it says right here, Isaiah 6, who's your Uzziah? I preached Isaiah, first time I ever preached in my entire life, an entire message was, kids, Google it. This is, this is like a dinosaur bone that I'm holding <laughs> in my hand here. This is my first sermon ever. Who's your Uzziah? I got up and preached a sermon after I read, read these verses, and I just said, who's your Uzziah? Who has God used to bless you, but you're not looking to God anymore because you're just looking at that person? It's one of the most dangerous things we can do. And listen, it's one of the worst things you can do for that relationship. Right. 
Let me tell you something. I, I, I hope God blesses you as I and my wife as we lead this house. I hope God blesses you through your campus pastors, and I hope that he will continue to for many years. But the mistake that you could make in identifying the messenger who brings the message with the Messiah, who's using the person to bring the message to you, is you then look to a person to give you what only God can. And what's going to inevitably happen is that person's going to let you down. If I haven't yet, I will let you down. I probably will before the day's over. And there, I, I just can't give you what only God can give you. A person can't give you what only God can give you. So when you look to a person to give you what only God can give you, your identity, your value, your salvation, your healing, your, 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 your everything has to come from him. And be thankful for the people that God uses. But keep your eyes on God. Because then when the person lets you down, it's easy to get sideways with the person. Because you were looking to them to do what they never were equipped to do. Uzziah was never meant to give Isaiah any, any, any inner peace. He was never meant to give him a sense of security. He was meant to be thankful for Uzziah and pray for Uzziah and be submissive to Uzziah's authority. But he was always supposed to be focusing on his own personal walk with God and praying that God would bless the leadership that he put in his life. But he was instead looking to Uzziah, it seems, to give him what only God could. So it took, tragically, Uzziah dying for Isaiah to see this. Now, the power of it is we don't have to have the earthly Uzziahs in our own lives die. I, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> That's, I'm, I held my breath for a second there. But, but we don't have to make the mistake and let it see that ultimate application if we'll just choose to lift our eyes above the people in our lives and look to God ourselves. If we'll look to God who blesses us through people, then we can be grateful for the people, but know that there's shortcomings, and know there's brokenness, and know there's weakness, and know that even the, the best of women are women at best. And even the best of men are men at best. And, and the reason we get hurt and the reason we have unfulfilled expectations and the reason we walk around with offense and, and we carry these things is because we were hoping someone would do what they could never do, what they weren't even rated to do. I had to hang something the other day, and so I went to the hardware store with my daughter, Clover. She's my tool buddy. Whenever we go to the hardware store, I'm like, hey, kids, who wants to come with me? And Clover's like, I do. And she always wants to come. So Clover and I go scampering off to, to the tool store, and, and, and I was looking at anchors, and I asked the, the guy about the wall anchor, and he said, well, that one's not rated to carry as much weight as you need. And so I couldn't buy it. I set it down real quickly because it wasn't rated to hold what I wanted to put on it. Let me tell you something. Only God is rated to hold your soul. Only God is rated to hold you. If you put your weight on any person, if you put your weight on any hobby, you put your weight on anything on this earth, it can't hold you. It's gonna, there's going to be stress fractures. There's going to be cracks. Things are going to come falling down. It's going to damage the wall. What you're holding onto it with is going to fall down to the ground. But if you will put your hope in God, if you will look your eyes up to the throne, if you'll find what you need in him, then you won't walk around looking for people to give you what they, what they can't. And yet we see the goodness of this death bringing life. It, Uzziah's death was a bad thing, obviously, but good came out of it. Uzziah, because some people say it wasn't his actual death that he's referencing here but it was just the death of him in Isaiah's eyes when he became a leper after having committed a transgression. You're like, what did he do? What did he do? Don't we always want to know that? I'm sure Uzziah is like, shut up. You have your own mess, and I had mine, right? What did he do? You can read it in 2 Chronicles 26. You are allowed to read your Bible when you're not in church. 
Um, so, so read that on your own. But, but here, here's, here's the thing about it. That's not even the, the, the point. The point is there was a bad thing that happened, but good came out of it. And I just want to encourage you that the bad things that come your way, there's still a connection between tribulation and revelation. And when you get knocked down, it's so that you can lift your eyes up. It's so that you can look up. It's so that you can trust God. Sometimes, and I wonder if there's, I'm not preaching to people, you, you're walking through things right now and it hurts so bad and it's so hard to stop crying and you're just, you're, you're sobbing and you just feel like, how could it get any worse than this? And where's God in the midst of this? And I'm just daring you to believe there's a fresh revelation of his goodness that you are only capable of receiving because of how bad this has hurt. Did not Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's just God having his, 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 his little secret twinkle in his eye of saying, in the, in the pain, I'm posturing you to receive a new revelation. Isaiah wouldn't have been ready to see this and experience the vividness of the colors of heaven if he weren't poor in spirit because of the loss of this person that he loved and he trusted and that he depended on in this way. I like how the message translation puts that from the Sermon on the Mount. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. It's not how it feels. But if you're at the end of your rope, you're blessed because with less of you, there's more of God. Come on, I'm encouraging someone's heart today. Right now, do you feel like there's just less of you and, and everything you need to do and everything, who, everyone who's looking to you, you feel like I don't have, there's no more of me to go around. That's okay because where there's less of you, there's more of God. And if you find yourself at the end of your rope, then just look up. Just look up to heaven and you will see that there is no end to God, that he is still in charge, that he still rules, that he's still sovereign. And so Uzziah can stay on the throne, but we can lift our eyes up to the heavenly throne. That's the first thing. There's a second connection, and the connection is the connection between praise and power. Praise, praise on the one hand and power on the other hand. I believe there's a connection between praise yes. and power. Yes. Uh, you know, you think about cause and effect, cause and effect relationships. You sneeze, someone across the room God bless you, right? And it's so obligatory. I was sneezing. Have you ever sneezed and you, 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 you found out the, the, the end of the patience of the person, the polite person? Like, the, what is it, the fourth sneeze, the fifth sneeze? They, they shift so quickly from God bless you to really, really? I'm not going to keep saying it if you're going to keep doing that. Right? It's like, wait, just a second ago, you were hoping God's blessings upon my life. And now you don't, I need his blessing more than ever because I'm on my fifth sneeze. But, but uh I'm at the end. There's a cause and effect relationship uh, in, to so many different things in life. Uh, there's a cause and effect where, where, where you have this, this cause of worship. There's, there's an effect. There's an impact that follows. Look at with me at verse 4 one more time. We have these angels crying out. And when the angels cried out, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled up with smoke. Cause was praise. The effect was power. The sneeze was the angel crying out in, in praise and, and bringing God glory. And the, the, the God bless you was smoke filling up the place and the walls almost shaking and reverberating with God's power. Now, what you need to know about smoke is it's always just this picture throughout the Bible of the glory of God. The glory of God fills the house when God's peoples praise him with their whole heart. There's this, this beauty of, of smoke rising, of, of God's glory being felt and being seen. And I just, I just want you to understand from this text that every time, every time these angels cried out, holy, 
holy, holy. The walls shook all over again. The walls shook all over again. The smoke, it rose all over again. And that's happening right now. That's, in fact, why when the Ark of the Covenant was made, they they were told to put metal angels, golden angels above it with their wings spreading out because it's this picture in miniature of reality where in God's presence, even now and ever and always, there's these these angels that cover God's throne with praise. They're, They're flying around. They're covering his throne with praise. And every time they cry out in praise, there's a reaction of smoke and power and shaking. And when we join our voices in worship, and praise when we declare that God is good and God is glorious. There's a, there's a sense in which we are uniting with the unseen, eternal, ever-continuing reality of God's glory. There's an effect that's felt. We don't get to see the smoke, but we get to sense his glory and feel his nearness. We get changed as we experience and encounter what those in heaven are seeing in perfection. Now, I, I wonder if there's not one or two who are like, yeah, but doesn't that get old? You know, you kind of see this, and it almost seems like, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a joke. Like, really? That's, they, they have no choice in the matter? They're, they're just flying around? And like, are they on strings? Do they have a choice? Do they move their arms jerkily each time? Like, like how ridiculous is this? They keep praising, saying the same thing, holy, holy, holy. What does that even mean? Holy means like other than other than category killer. Don't even know where to put him. There's never been anybody like him. He's the greatest. He's the best. I've never seen. That's what they're saying. And you're like, well, but isn't it get old to say the same thing about what they're seeing? No, because they're saying it because of something they haven't seen each time they say it. You see, every time they they take another pass, every time they take another lap, they look over and they see something in God they haven't seen before. They're worshiping him for some fresh aspect of who he is. They're crying out another time. They're crying out a brand new time. They're they're not saying holy for what they saw last time. They're, They're seeing something new in who he is. And they're crying out, I've never seen anything like it. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. There's never been anyone like him. He's set apart. There's no category you can put him into. There's no one you can compare him to. He's the greatest. He's the best. He's above. He's better than that. He's whole. And each time there's a shaking and each time the smoke rises and then they prepare for another lap and they're just like, man, that was really powerful. Oh my God. Holy. Holy. And it starts all over again. It's a brand new chain reaction. And I just love so much what it tells us, it tells us that your worship can never get old if you keep letting God show you something new. And, and when, we, when, we, when we come together to praise him, our, our worship never gets old. It doesn't matter if we are attending multiple worship experiences, if it's a song we sang last time or it's a song we've never sung before. Your worship can't ever get old if you're praising God for something brand new. You know, at the end of the day, what I'm doing every single week is, is preaching the same message. Jesus is awesome. Look what he's done, right? And you're like, that, that gets old. I see where this is going. It's, it's we're, we're, we're in need of help, and he did it, and he's on the cross, and he's like, and you're like, that's, that's so old. Only if you're not coming to him to see something new in it, allowing him to show you some new beauty of his character and believing that the new experiences that you just lived out between last Sunday and this Sunday are not now in need of some fresh dose of his power and his love and his grace and not understanding who he is and that he's actually infinite. And you're not praising him for what you once saw. If you'd open your eyes, you would see there's something new for you to praise him for. 
Worship can't get old if you keep letting God show you something new. I love also that worship starts in heaven, but its effects are felt on earth. You see, they're, 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 they're flying around the throne saying, holy, 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 Lord God, and how mighty he is. They're praising God, and then, then the effect is in heaven. But what happens next? They, then they declare prophetically, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. So worship starts in heaven, but its impact is felt on earth. And there's a takeaway truth. If we would look up to God from our problems, we'd be able to look back at our problems and see something different. That's the power. So often we just stare at our problems. We just stare there's not enough money and the kids don't behave enough well and look at this marriage and this is difficult and look at this health problem and look at this report from the doctor and we just, we, we walk around just staring at our problems. But, but if you would just, and, and what was the earth full of in that day? Mess, right. about to get worse, right. about to get worse. You, you don't, you don't, you're not with me on this. Look what uh, Franz Dielich, anytime I can quote a Franz, I'll do it. I'm not scared. <laughs> Franz Dielich said about this day, the national glory of Israel died out with King Uzziah and has never revived to this day. So the whole earth, problems. The glory, Ichabod, the glory has departed. It's gotten bad, and it's about to get worse, and it would get worse, and it would get worse. And, and so that's not what the angels see, though. When the angels look to God, they look back at the earth and they see something they didn't see before. The whole earth is full of glory. And if you look up from your problems and you look to who God is, you'll be able to look back at your problems and see his glory is all around it. He's working in the midst of it. You'll be able to prophesy to your trial, God's glory is gonna be revealed in you. And this may look bad and it may look like it's over, but God's not done. God's got a plan. God's up to something. He hasn't even begun to fight. His, his glory is gonna be revealed right here in the midst of this. Our song rises to heaven, but its effects are felt here on earth. I also love that these angels are rocking six wings. That's casual. It's epic. Not, not two, right? So I don't know what angels you grew up seeing, but these ones got six. And if you read Revelation 4, there are also angels that have like different animal faces. They can rock for different occasions. So... Make of that what you will, right? Like this one looked like an ox. And then I looked and that one was looking like a lion. And this one, man, was like an eagle, right? And it, 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 that's intense. So, so, but we don't know what these angels' faces look like because they're covering their faces with two of their six wings, right? So, so, so here's what you see. you see. You see two wings over their face and you see two wings over, over their feet, right? Like the messenger style, Greek god Hermes, right? He had... He had that's pretty cool, right? You hear the wing feet. That's cool, right? So, so you got, you got, there's four of the six, and then you got two they're actually flying with. Now, the, the, the four wings on the feet and the face, we'll talk about that in a second. That's actually a posture of reverence. Wow. Posture of reverence. We'll talk about why that's significant. But what does that mean then? That only two of their six wings they're actually using to carry out their mission. The other four are consumed by praise. The other four are, are consumed. That is to say, we should never allow the things that we do for God to be over uh, and above what God has done for us. Our, our worship should always mark us and not just our work. Now, I hesitated saying that because I actually believe 
that, that work and worship should be the same thing, that you should view your worship as your work. So, so the better way to say it is we should never allow what we're doing for God. I'm flying around this throne on, on an assignment. I'm flying around this to, 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 to be the thing. I love that four wings are dedicated to worship and only two dedicated to what they're doing for God. You, you see, when we, are, when we are worshiping God, we're postured to receive from God, and that will actually give us the strength to do the things we're doing for God. So you need to get four of your wings out and pray so you'll have the energy to use those two wings to do your assignment that he's called you to do. Uh, what, what do you mean worshiping allows us to get something from God? It's about us giving something to God. No, you completely miss it. And if you even read this text and you're like, doesn't, doesn't God tell the angels what to do? So he's telling them to fly around him, declare he's glorious. How sick is he that he needs that? No, no, you don't get it. He's allowing those angels to praise him. God wants us to show up at church and raise our hands and sing how great he is. What is he on, like the ego trip of all ego trips? No, he doesn't. He, you, you're missing it. When we don't praise him, he stays just as glorious. But we miss out on the experience of becoming glorious. We miss out on it. Why? Because you become like what you worship. Look how C.S. Lewis put it in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. This is kind of a long quote, but stay with me. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scottish, Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Come on, somebody. In our expressing our praise to God, we actually enjoy God more. We become like him. We receive from him. We should understand the connection between praise and power. When praises go up, come on, you know, power comes down. All right, there's a third connection. It's the connection between humility and wholeness. Jot it down. Humility on the one hand, wholeness on the other. There's a lot of humility in this passage. I already mentioned the four wings of the angels, not willing to even look at God directly, and uncovering their feet would be a sign of like, you know, hey, I mean, rocking bare feet around someone is, is not really a high sign of respect. You know, got to keep those bad boys covered up until you, you really know somebody, right? It's like, no, they're, they're respectfully keeping their feet covered. And, uh, and so there's humility on the part of the angels. What about of Isaiah? What about, what about Isaiah who, in his pain, in his poor in spirit state, stands before God? And in response to what he sees with the shaking of the posts, and the smoke rising and observing God's throne with these terrible creatures, gazing upon God and, and, and crying out afresh how great he is, how large he is, how other than he is. His only right response is to fall to his face and to declare, woe is me, for I am undone. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, 
and I myself have unclean lips. There's a humility there. What is it with the lips thing? You, you have to know something about Isaiah. Isaiah was an orator. Isaiah was a, was a prophet par excellence. Isaiah wrote what, what has been called the Bible in miniature, the 66 books of his prophetic letter being somehow lined up with, and there's, 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 there's vistas that he describes in this prophetic book that, that nobody has, has been able to equal or surpass in greatness. So Isaiah was a man quick with his tongue. He was known. He, was, he, could, he could speak, and people would just be like, so, so when he talks about his lips, you're talking about the greatest thing about him, his greatest natural ability. So you're talking about Isaiah at his greatest. So what he's choosing to do here in this moment is say the greatest thing about me, I proclaim a curse upon. It's terrible compared to who I'm seeing. Woe is me. I've got, my, my lips are dirty. I can't say a word because he's actually looking at greatness. And, and this is, I believe, where we need to come to, a place where we, we actually see God. Listen to me. Seeing God gloriously is what will help you see yourself accurately. So many of us walk around with this inaccurate view of ourselves. Not that we need to, to walk around in a place of self-abasement, but where we're confronting God we then admit we are undone. We, we have nothing to give. We have nothing to offer. And it's that then is the, that is the secret to walking out and understanding who he's called us to be. Right. And all of us in our natural condition as sinners and all of us in our natural condition as frail and as weak when we bring that brokenness to God and we admit that he is so far and above, so other than, so different than anything that we are, that, that we then come to terms with who we are and our sin, and our frailty, and our brokenness, and our, 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 our wretchedness without him, that we then are postured with our humility to receive the wholeness that we need, to receive the mending that we need, to receive the cure that we need, to receive what happened to Isaiah on this day, that God picks him up and changes him. He has this encounter in God's presence when he's accurately describing himself to God because of who God is, that everything changes. This is a far cry from, you know, God, my buddy, and God, could you do this for me? And I'll check in with you here. But this is an act of reverence and worship, and God is, is completely to be praised with, with everything. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to a message this week by a pastor who talked about, like, the encounter that changed everything for him when he saw the bigness of God. Because if you haven't had a moment like this, we'll, we'll, we'll pray and believe that'll happen to you. But a moment where you just see, where you, you just, it just snaps into place how big God is. And then you realize how small you are, and you were walking around thinking you were such a big deal and such a strong person. And, and at the end of the day, all of us are like vapor. That we're here one moment, we're gone the next. We matter. We were made in the image of God. We're, we're meant to rise up in power, but only in connection to who he is. When we lose ourselves in his story, we can make sense of our own because we're a part of what he's doing, and we are redeemed at a great price. But this, this pastor was telling the story of how he was at a summer camp, and one of the speakers at the summer camp was this woman who was talking about science and talking about how big the universe is. And she, she said this. She goes, you know how far the sun is away? 92-some million miles away. That's so far away. But let's say we could bring it really close. He said, let's say the distance from the earth to the sun, 92 million miles, was a sheet of paper. The distance between earth and our nearest star would have to be 70 feet high of paper. Okay, so earth to sun, one single sheet of paper. Earth to the next nearest star would be 70 feet high, a stack of paper. And to get to the diameter of our 
universe, of our, of our galaxy, rather, the, the, the diameter of our galaxy, the stack of paper would reach 310 miles high. 310 miles of paper would be the, the diameter of our galaxy, which is just a tiny speck, this woman said, of what the entire universe is. And of all that, God measures it with the span of his hand, and it came out of his mouth and the thought and imagination of his heart. No, no, no. That's great. That's great. But, but that's not, that's not what, what got this, this pastor. He said, the counselor then said, the speaker then said at the camp, and if you ever meet a person like that, you don't invite them into your heart to be your personal assistant. <laughs> he said that changed everything for him because it snapped into place like a contact lens going into his eye, how big God is. And he felt like Isaiah did. Woe is me, for I am undone. What I think the best thing about me is, turns out it's nothing compared to the greatness of who you are. And he lost himself from that moment on in the power of God. And, it, and if we would come to a place of that kind of humility, the kind of humility that would cover up our feet and, and to, to, to fly with wings over our face, but then like Isaiah, to say, God, my people are unclean. I'm unclean. I'm messed up. My family's messed up. Everything's messed up. And I'm, I'm, I'm like this big, and you are like that. Then we will discover what Isaiah discovered. God doesn't leave you in that place of self-abasement. God's not wanting you to walk around with your head down because immediately he's picked up and the humility is linked to a wholeness because a coal is taken from the altar and his sin is, 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 is purged. And then all of a sudden, we're at our final point, which is what? The connection between availability and opportunity. Because out from God's mouth, when Isaiah is, is humbled and therefore healed, humbled and therefore whole, realizing who he is because of who God is, and then postured to face life properly, what's the next thing God says? He says, I got a question. Whom shall, look at it, I send, whom shall go for us. I wish I could talk to you about how the Trinity is right there. When God speaks both in the singular and the plural, whom am I going to send? Who's going to go for us? Because that would be a neat time and our heads would probably explode. Instead, <laughs> let's just go right back to the question where Isaiah says, here I am. Here am I. Here I am. Here am I. Who am I going to send? I got work to do. I'm this big star creating universe uh, owning galaxy handling God, and yet I got a plan and it involves people. Who wants to be used by, by me? But I'm going to need someone whole. I'm going to need someone who's been healed. I'm going to need someone who's been humbled. Is there anyone around here who's just been touched and changed and set free? And Isaiah raises up his hand confident with his head up high and his shoulders square, knowing who he is because he knows who God is. And the praise has made him powerful. So he's, he says, here I am. I'm willing. Send me. Send me to a broken world. I'll bring your glory into it. Send me to hurting people. I'll use my lips that have been cleansed and as best as I can speak and as best as I can preach and as best as I can lead. And I wonder if you're aware that if we would be humbled, we could be made whole, then God would give us opportunities so long as we're willing to be available. The greatest thing that, that world, the world needs in light of the grandeur and the grace of God is people who have the spirit of a volunteer. 
we need to not just receive the grace that God wants to give us, but then when he looks at the rest of the world that hasn't had that God-sized encounter yet, it hasn't been awestruck with wonder at the terrific majesty that those who have gone before us are even now experiencing in heaven at this minute. God is saying of this lost world, who will I send? Who will go for us into your neighborhood? And who, who's going to go to Portland with the good news? Who's going who's to love the people of Billings? Who's going to reach the state of Wyoming? Who's going to have a heart broken with compassion for Whitefish and for Missoula? Who has a, a heart to reach people who are far from God in Butte? Who will I send? Who will go for us? And if we would have the spirit of a volunteer who fresh with the humility has received the wholeness and full of the power that's unleashed by praise and in the midst of the affliction and the tribulation has tapped into brand new revelation and knows who God is and has a heart for the lost and will raise up their hand and say, here I am, send me. Send me with your love. Send me with your grace. Send me with your mercy. Send me. Then we will see the world changed. And that's what it's like to fall madly in love with Jesus. Because this that we're describing, what Isaiah saw, what he saw was Jesus. John, the beloved apostle, said that exactly. Quoting Isaiah from this chapter, he said this. Look at it very carefully. This is John's gospel. Isaiah said everything he said after he got a glimpse of God's cascading brightness that would pour through the Messiah. And this is why we need to worship and understand and, and praise and live our lives out for the glory of Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Come on, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. All of us praying. If you're here as a believer, Jesus follower, but you've never had this kind of an encounter. You've never, you, you follow Jesus, you know him, you love him, but, but there's never been that opening of your eyes, but you want that. You want God to show you who he is. For some of you, that's happening even now. And if that's true, if it's been happening even in this moment, or you just would say to God, I want that, could I just ask that you to raise up your hands? You want to see God's glory cascading on his Messiah, Jesus. If God's opening your eyes or you say, God, I want you to open them, would you just raise up a hand? Raise up a hand, raise up a hand all across our church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you help us to see who you are so we could discover who we are in light of that God? You can put your hands down. I want to give another invitation. This goes out to anybody who's never trusted Jesus for salvation. And I want to say to you that the only reason Isaiah was able to be made whole was because a coal was taken from the altar. While we're praying with heads bowed and eyes closed, the, the altar looked forward to the cross. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, an exact recreation of this moment took place where the temple shook as he gave up his ghost. And the veil in the temple was torn in two, not because of some sacrifice on an earthly altar, but because Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, was being slain on heaven's altar. And because of that, that coal from the altar can touch your lips and clean you and make you righteous and make you whole. But you have to accept that, receive that, and embrace that. The cross and the resurrection is the only hope any of us can have of eternal life or forgiveness here and now. If as we're praying with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you know you need to receive God's grace so you can be forgiven, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to ask the church family to pray it with us. And if you'll mean this in your heart, God will meet you where you are at and heal you. Say this prayer out loud after me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. 
I can't fix myself, but I believe you can because of what Jesus did. I believe in his death, his resurrection. I give you my sin. Come into my heart. Give me new life and resurrection power. In Jesus' name I pray. Hey, thank you so much for watching this message. If you haven't yet, head on over to YouTube and click subscribe on Fresh Life's channel so you don't miss out on anything.